If you have your Bibles, you want to open to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish this little three-part series, How to Develop the Craving for Pure Spiritual Milk. Should we crave this book? Should we crave God's Word? Interesting variation on that song, Your Word Satisfies, Only Your Word Satisfies. Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. God's word is true. I don't know about you, but I take great refuge in this book and in what it says. The more I read it, the more I meditate on it, the more I love it, the more I desire to understand it. It is richer and richer and deeper and deeper and more profound to me every time I read it, every time I open it. I'm thankful that God has revealed his mind to us. He's revealed his thoughts to us through his word. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Tell God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Just read these three verses with me. I hope they are a source of tremendous benefit to you and strength in your life. Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Wonderful verses, wonderful verses. You may or may not yet have a craving for God's Word. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, We are instructed, indeed commanded by Peter, by the Holy Spirit through Peter, to have a craving for his word. That's the main thought in those three verses. And then the other two verses, uh, one and three, really modify that main thought. So you may or may not have a craving. Many Christians today do not have a craving for God's word. So the question is, how can I get that craving? If I'm commanded to have it, how can I get it? How can I develop it? And so we've been looking at that last week and this week. I suggested to you that enclosed in these three verses are five principles, five dynamics that are essential to developing or to gaining a a desire, a, a delight in, a love for God's Word. If we're to be more like God, if we're to be godly people, one mark of that is the fact that we have a love for and a delight in God's Word. Would you agree? Does God delight in His Word? Absolutely. It's His Word. <laughs> All of us delight in our words, don't we? <laughs> so it's not, uh, it's not uncommon. It's not uh, unfounded for God to delight in His Word. So we are to delight in His Word. Now, I suggested to you last week that there were the first two of these five dynamics. Uh, who remembers the first one? Remember your life source. You see, if you have not a craving for the Word of God, if you have not a delight in and a love for the, for the Word of God, for pure spiritual milk, you have forgotten something, and what you've forgotten is the fact that this book, the Bible, is your life source. It's the source of your new spiritual life. You can't get spiritual life apart from the Word of God Peter calls it the imperishable seed of God, the living, enduring word that has been sown into your life that gives rise to that new life. And you've forgotten the power of this word. So it's essential then for us to remember. If the the word, if this pure spiritual milk as he describes it, If that was the source of our initial life, the initial change causing us to be born again, then it will continue to change us. It will continue to transform us. Hence, crave it. Crave it. And when you remember that, you go, ooh, ooh, yes, yes, yes. What's the second of those two dynamics? Get rid of your sin. Get rid of your sin. If I'm to have a craving, if I'm to have a love, if I'm to have a delight in God's Word, I've got to get rid of sin in my life. Is sin an obstacle? Source of problem? Difficulty? Stumbling? Sure. I want to get rid of sin. And again, uh, a godly, uh, someone who's growing in godliness is someone who is what? Who is 
ridding themselves of sin in their life. Well, that leads us now to the other three, and the last three, and we'll look at these this morning. The third of these five dynamics is admit your need. you got to admit your need. Are we all needy? Yeah, we're all needy. But it's, I mean, if you think about it, we don't always admit our need. We don't admit it. We're not up front with it. And we find this in the first part of verse 2. And it's interesting. He says, like newborn babies. Now, the word that he uses in the Greek text, it translates baby in our English text. That word uh, means literally the smallest child. So like the smallest child, but more particularly, it was a word that that always referenced uh, nursing babies. And it was a word that was was always used to, to describe a baby that continued to nurse at its mother's breast. And it would have been enough to use that word alone, but Peter uses a second word, and I believe wanting to make his point more emphatic, the second word literally means born just now. So it's not just baby, but a born just now baby. He wants to make a point for us, and I want to develop this. What he's saying is, like a born just now baby, you are to crave pure spiritual milk. Does a born just now baby crave anything? Does, he, does that baby crave anything at all? When it comes out of the womb, when it's just born, what does it crave most? Pink booties. A yellow crib, a red Mercedes, a baseball. What does that born just now baby crave more than anything else? What is that newborn baby wanting one thing and only one thing? What is it? It's milk. It's milk. When that baby comes out, the first place that little baby goes is to the breast of its mother. Isn't that true? And that's why, and the only craving it has is for that milk. Why? Because that is its profoundest and only need at that moment. Milk. Think about it. A baby recognizes its need. A baby recognizes its need. A baby may not be worldly wise. A baby may not have lots of knowledge. A baby may not know anything, but it does know its need. And it knows its need can only be satisfied with milk. And it cries and accepts no substitute. I promise you it would do you no good to set a bag of potato chips in front of that baby. It wants one thing, and one thing only. There's only one thing that baby wants, and that one, there's only one thing that satisfies that baby. And beloved, there is no more beautiful scene in all of human affection than when that little life is per, first placed on its mother's breast, and you see that it is infinitely at rest in an instant. In an instant. That baby knows that it is exactly where it belongs. It's at total peace. It's being satisfied. It's receiving exactly what it is intended to receive, the pure, uncontaminated, unadulterated milk that has been designed for it, and it has been designed to receive. Isn't that marvelous? So Peter says that it's that very same thing that should characterize Christians. Just as that baby recognizes its need, acknowledges its need. That if you're a Christian, you must acknowledge your need for pure spiritual milk. And if you don't get it, you cry you cry, you crave it. A baby that has, that has that one instinctive need, that one tremendous craving for milk, 
If it doesn't get it, I promise you, that little baby will get as violent as a little life can possibly get. You want it? I want to eat now. Now, some question arises because we're talking about babies. We're talking about milk. Somebody, I don't want you to get any misunderstanding or, 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 or misinterpretation of what we're addressing or what Peter's saying to us. Peter is not talking about new converts. He's not talking about the milk of the word as meaning the, the easier to understand doctrines. That's not what he's addressing here. He's not talking about new Christians. Paul will talk about those things in 1 Corinthians. John talks about those things elsewhere. But this is not what Peter's saying. Peter's talking about, he's making an analogy, and he's simply saying that every believer, whether he's a new convert, an old convert, whether he's a new Christian or an old Christian, whether he's young in the faith or mature in the faith, every single believer must crave God's Word. Must crave God's Word. See, the analogy is the craving. The analogy isn't in, the, in the, the kind of believer. The analogy isn't in the kind of milk. The analogy simply is in the craving. Like a newborn baby craves, so you also as a Christian must crave. Do you see, this? You see there what he's talking about? Very, very important because some people said to me, well, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a new Christian. And I move from the milk to the meat. That's not what Peter's saying. That's not his point. His point is, no matter where you are in your Christian experience, whether you're new or you're old, you're young or you're mature, that you crave. You crave pure spiritual milk. You crave the Word of God. The, the easier to understand things and the more difficult things in His Word. Now let me caution you, don't ever let yourself get to the place where you think you don't need it. There's a strong temptation for people to reach a certain level of spiritual maturity and say, you know, I've, I've kind of arrived. I'm, I kid you not. I mean, you look in your own heart, look in your own life, and the reality is, where have you settled down? Or do you still have this craving? And is the craving for the Word of God still, still a powerful desire and longing in your life? It's a subtle thing. Three times the Bible says that man does not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that comes out of the mouth of God. Every word. Can you be satisfied with with, with uh, you've eaten enough food in your life, now can you not eat? Huh? No. Because why? You'll die. You'll absolutely die. It's the same thing with spiritual food, pure spiritual milk. We can't be satisfied with where we are. Don't let yourself get into that place. I need spiritual food just as much, if not more, than I need temporal food. I need the bread of life more than I need temporal bread. I mean, you've got to have that perspective. The baby cries in its infancy because it wants milk. It needs nourishment. And the believer should have that same cry. I need nourishment. I need nourishment. And the tragedy is that so many Christians today, don't. that's not their cry. Because they're stuffed. They're already stuffed. They're already full and they're full of junk food. They become satiated. They've lost their appetite without ever being nourished. Isn't that tragic? Without ever being nourished, we've, been, we've stuffed ourselves with everything else except the feast that God has laid before us. And hence, too many Christians have no appetite for the spirit, pure, pure spiritual milk. They have no appetite for it. Beloved, we have a desperate need. We have a desperate need. We have a need to get in touch with that need 
for his word in our life. How did Jesus fight temptation, by the way? Did he go to a psychologist to help him with his struggle? How did he fight temptation? By the word, didn't he? By the word. The implication is, without the word, you can't, you can't effectively, effectively live your life. You can't battle temptation. You can't grow. You can't live a productive, effective, happy life. Unless you're being, what, nourished spiritually. So it's very, very important for us to be in touch with that need. We have such a desperate need for God's word. There are so many weak Christians and weak churches We have not impacted this country. In fact, other countries now are sending missionaries to America. Can you believe that? We are seen worldwide now as a missionary, uh, a place to send missions. America. And for generations, we've sent missionaries every place else in the world. And now other countries look at us and say, oh man, they need missionaries. What's the matter with the church in America? We're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Why? Because we are spiritually malnourished. We are spiritually malnourished, beloved. There's no other way to describe it. Now, many people are going to read the Bible. And, and as, 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 as I've been saying this thing and talking to you about, about the Bible and, and craving the Word of God, a number of you have been picking up the Bible. But now I even need to warn you about this, how you read the Bible. Lots and lots of people reading the Bible. I'm excited. People say, oh, you know, God's really spoken to my heart, and I, you know, I've been convicted. I've not been in the Word, and now I'm getting in the Word. I'm getting serious. I'm developing this craving. Wonderful. But let me caution you. Don't just read the Bible functionally. What do you mean functionally? It's just a function. It's just another function in your life. Just to say, I read the Bible. When I talk to people who are in trouble in their life, uh, inevitably, the question will come around, and I'll ask them, I'll say, are you reading the Bible? Well, yeah, sometimes, which means what? No. <laughs> and they're in trouble. Their lives are in trouble. They're desperate. They're depressed. They're afraid. They're, 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 they're out of control. Temptation's overwhelming them. Their relationships aren't working out. Their kids are going crazy. I mean, there's a zillion things that go wrong in people's lives, right? So I want to home in on a core issue. What place does the Word of God have in your life, really? And if they're not reading it, even if they are reading it, I'll say, what did you read today? Oh, well, I, I didn't read today. When did you read? Uh, Last week. What did you read? I can't remember. You see, those are people who are just reading functionally. It's not enough to say, well, I read. Are you just reading functionally if you can't come away with something that's impacted your life? Something has stayed with you, something you remember. This is why it's so exciting to me that so many of you are picking up on memorizing the verses that we have each week. So many more of you are picking up on taking notes in the, in the, in the service, especially those who are sitting in front. Some. <laughs> Some. And so many more of you are taking advantage of the daily hope because you want the Word of God to become integrated into your life in a, in a very powerful way. Don't just read functionally. There are other people who read the Bible. They read it, however, if not functionally, they read it superstitiously. They kind of treat the Bible like a, a magic charm, if you will. That uh, it, will, it will work magic in their life. We, we said that the Word of God is powerful. It's alive. It's effective. We saw last week, Paul says that if you're a believer, that it will do its work in you. But that doesn't mean it's magic. And some people just reduce it to kind of a magic charm. Somehow if I read it, it'll it'll magically do something. No, 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 no. It's not magic. It is powerful. It'll do its work. But don't read it superstitiously. 
Don't read it just simply educationally, just because you want to get a whole bunch of facts so that you're, you're fun at a Christian Bible study. You do the Bible answer man. I have all the knowledge and facts. Some people read it that way. They just want to get all the facts down. And they don't get nourishment out of it. Some people read the Bible denominationally. They, they want to be able to argue their denominational doctrinal tenets. They have all their proof texts lined up. Some people read it just simply out of curiosity and for intellectual pride. And this, this really fits in the area of prophecy. Everyone, people want to read the Bible. They want to find how many beasts there are and how many horns there are and all the ins and outs of prophecy. That's not how you read the Bible, beloved. How do you think the Bible should be read? How do you think the Bible should be read? I'll give you a clue. Peter tells us. Peter tells us. How should the Bible be read? The implication is found in verse 2. How should the Bible be read? How should the Bible be read? Shouldn't it be read like a hungry baby sucking with all of its strength on the breast of its mother to derive all the possible nourishment it can derive? Shouldn't we open this book and say, Oh, God, speak to my heart? You say, how much should I read it? Just read it. <laughs> read until God speaks to you. When you're reading it that way, you know you have a craving for His Word. God, speak to my heart. Nourish my soul. You're like that hungry baby, sucking. Oh, you got to get enough. That's how it should be read. That's how it should be read. That's when your Bible time gets to be exciting. That's when your life is nourished. That's when it begins to do its work. That's when the transformation begins to occur. When you are craving, craving His Word, just like that hungry baby, with all of its strength, sucking. So, remember your life source, right? Get rid of your sin. Admit your need. Admit your need for nourishment, just like a newborn baby. A just newborn baby knows its need and knows where to get that need fulfilled. You and I must admit our need and know where to go to get that need met. The fourth dynamic, pursue your growth. Second half of verse 2. He says, so that by it you may what? Grow up in your salvation. Pursue your growth. You need to be fed because you need to what? Grow. How many want to grow? How many want to grow? How many seriously want to grow in your faith? You want to grow as Christians. If you're pursuing your growth, there's only one place you can go to that will give you and provide you for with that resource by which you may grow. There's no other place. Prayer is essential. Fellowship is essential. Serving is essential. But those things aren't nearly as critical to you as feeding on the Word of God if you are to grow. I need nourishment if I'm to grow. And if I'm to pursue my growth, I must also pursue it here. Does that make sense? You with me? It's so tragic to see somebody who, humanly speaking, is malnourished, isn't it? Someone who is just frail and, 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 and they're, just, they're just skin and bones. It's tragic to see someone who's malnourished. It's even more tragic when you look through spiritual eyes to see someone who is spiritually malnourished. Terribly tragic. I mean, my heart breaks for people who physically they look marvelous, but you look into their eyes and you see the emptiness in their soul and the devastation in their life. It, is a, it just breaks your heart to see those people are spiritually malnourished. 
And there's really not much you can do for them. You can't force feed them. It just, it just breaks my heart. When Peter talks to us in verse 2 about growing up in our salvation, the verb to grow is interesting because it's in the passive voice. The idea is not that I am doing the growing. It is that it's something that's happening to me. I'm the recipient of some activity that's causing my growth. The verb is in the passive voice. You can translate it this way. Crave the pure spiritual milk of the word that it may grow you. Ooh, it may grow you. Now, if you're going to grow physically, when I was a, when I was a, a young boy, I, I wanted to be tall, and so I thought, you know, because everyone in my family was short. My dad was 5'7", my mom was 5'4". I thought, I'm, I better do something here to grow. And so I made up a whole bunch of stretching exercises. <laughs> I had to stretch myself. But, I, you know, if you're going to grow, you've got to what? You've got to eat. You've got to nourish yourself. You've got to do whatever, it, take in whatever it takes. And similarly, you can't just sit there and wish yourself to grow. I mean, all, for all my exercises, that didn't, that didn't grow me. I realize that now. I didn't realize it then. And the same thing is true of spiritual growth. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to grow spiritually. No, you've got to pursue that growth. And you've got to pursue that which will produce growth, just like you eat food to grow, you've got to eat food to grow spiritually. You've got to pursue it. And if you really want to grow, then you should have that craving for God's Word in your life. That it may grow you. Very simply, the Word of God will cause you to grow. It will cause you to grow. If you look at Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we see Paul says much the same thing. It's a marvelous passage and a marvelous time for Paul and tragic yet at the same time. He's spent several years with the Ephesians and just really working with them closely and the church is growing in Ephesus. It was a center of, of tremendous uh, pagan idolatry. And now he's getting ready to leave the Ephesians. And, and he's, he and the Ephesian elders are, are hugging each other, loving one another, crying. As, he knows he's not going to see them this side of heaven again. And so his parting words to them are found in this verse. He says, Now I commit you to God. And to the word of his grace, now notice, which can what? Build you up. I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. God's word acts on us. God's word causes us to grow. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 Paul says much the same thing to Timothy. He says, be being nourished. Be being nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching you have followed. What's he talking about? The word of God. Be nourished by it. Continue to be nourished by it. Continue to grow by it, Timothy. It'll grow you. The word of God will grow you to the fullest extent of your salvation. Everything God intended for you to be, everything God designed you to be, every gift, every capability, every ministry, every effect, it will grow you. It will grow you to the fullest extent, full and final glorious expression of your salvation. Beloved, if you're content with where you are spiritually, you'll never pursue your growth. If you are content with where you are spiritually, you will never pursue your growth. But if you have a holy discontent with your spirituality, you will pursue growth. Holy discontent. I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I want to grow more. I want to grow more. Spiritual growth arises out of spiritual discontent. Say that with me. 
Spiritual growth arises out of spiritual discontent. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them that. Tell them that. Lord, deliver me from ever being satisfied where I am spiritually. Lord, deliver me from being satisfied where I am spiritually. I don't want to be satisfied. Some people get mad at me because I'm always pushing them to grow. I'm always pushing them to grow. They say, will you, will you never let up? No! I will never let up. I don't let up on myself. I will not let up on you. God means for us to grow. He means for us to grow. And we want to grow. And we must pursue our growth. And if we're desperate enough in pursuing our growth, we will have and develop a craving for the Word of God. You will. You will. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul talks about being transformed from one glare, uh, level of glory to the other. Who wants to go from, from one level of glory to the next and to the next and to the next? I do. I do. I hope you do. And as we gaze into the Word of God and we see His glory reflected back to us through His Word, you can't help but be exhilarated and thrilled and long to know more. And be trans, transformed from one level of glory to the next, to the next, to the next. Beloved, that arises out of discontent with where I am. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. He says, I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. I press towards the mark. He said, but Paul, Paul, you're the, you're the best Christian who's ever lived. He says, I haven't arrived. I'm not there. I press on. I want to know him more fully. Should that be the desire of our heart, the cry of our heart? Sure. Listen, beloved, if you're, if you're content with your spiritual progress, you're in real spiritual danger. If you're content with your spiritual progress, you are in real spiritual danger. You are a ripe target. Don't be complacent. That's a serious place to be. Pursue your growth. Pursue your growth. So remember your life source. Remember your life source. Have you forgotten the power that is here. Are you ignoring the power that's here in this word? Get rid of your sin. Confess it. Repent. Simple. Confess it. Repent. Admit your need. You're malnourished if you're not in this book regularly. You're going to be malnourished and that's going to be, uh, that'll lead to weakness, that'll lead to ineffectiveness and you're not going to be a happy camper, I promise you. Your Christian life is not going to be the joyful, powerful experience God intends for it to be and, 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 and you want it to be if you're not in His Word. And pursue your growth. Don't let yourself be content. Beloved, one of the biggest lies that Satan will ever, ever give you is that you have arrived spiritually. That's one of the biggest lies he'll try to put on you. And the minute you believe that you've arrived spiritually, you will think that that thought that you got, that you're together now, was a commendation from God. You'll think that, that God, God told you that. I can't tell you how many people over the years that I've talked to have heard they thought from God. I mean, it wasn't from God at all. It seemed right. It seemed to make sense. They felt comfortable. It wasn't from God. It wasn't a commendation. It's a deception. It's a deception. Don't ever be content with where you are spiritually. And lastly, if you want to develop a craving for the Word of God, this is the fifth in our five dynamics. Can you guess what the blank is? Count your blessings. Verse 3, verse 3, Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you, have you in, in your past, think about it, have you in your past 
experienced? Have you tasted in your own personal experience the kindness of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the grace of God? And if you knew how wonderful and how blessed it was then, don't you want more of it now? See, now that you have tasted of the goodness of the Lord, God's blessings, God's grace, marvelous. The more of God's goodness that you enjoy on your, if I can say this, spiritual palate, you've tasted it, the greater should be your craving for more. I want more. It's like, it's like having those Really good salty potato chips. You know, those vinegar potato chips. I don't know about you, but I love those things. Your, 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 your appetite is, is more. Count your blessings. Count your blessings because it only serves to stimulate your appetite for more. And the more comes through where? It comes through where? God's Word. Craving His Word. Craving His Word. Jeremiah said in, chapter, in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, familiar passage. He says that the Lord's compassions never fail. They're new every morning. They never fail. Isn't that glorious? How would you know that? How would you know that? Had, except you had, had read it. God assured you. How would you know that? How would you know? You see, a lot of people say, oh, oh, does God know I'm here? Does he have enough grace for me? Yes! How do you know? Because he says it! Those verses are a source of tremendous strength, tremendous encouragement, tremendous joy to so many. And when you're struggling, when you're in a trial, when you're under difficulties and a pile is on your head, and you're tempted to wonder, where is God? His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. There's hope. It's a new day. God's grace is there. He's enabling me. He's strengthening me. Beloved, I know and I remember and I think on the many, many times God answered prayer for me in my life. When God's grace touched my life, times He forgave me and I had a palpable sense of His forgiveness, His kindness to me. Count your blessings. All the grace that He's given me to live. Just, just last week, I was... Driving down Prospect, coming from home. And I was just, my mind was just all over the map, thinking all different kinds of things. And, and it, was just, it was just fascinating to me. It was just like I had this blinding thought just flash through my mind. My grace has kept you. I went, Whoa. I mean, I mean, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't praying. It was just, my grace has kept you. What a token of love. And then on the tail end of that statement in my mind came all these pictures for over the years. And it was like God saying to me, do you, how, how in the world do you think you could have endured being a pastor for nearly 20 years Without my grace. You've made more mistakes and more blunders. You've done more dumb things. But it's my grace that has sustained you. My grace that's enabled you. My grace that has kept you. By the time I got to church, I was weeping. And I was only two blocks away. Incredible. God was reminding me, count my blessings. Count my blessings. It's His grace to us, beloved. It's His grace to us. Isn't that marvelous? Absolutely marvelous. Count your blessings. And if you've tasted already of the goodness of the Lord, don't you want more? That ought to incite a craving in you. 
I want more. I want more. And wouldn't you want to do what Jeremiah said? Wouldn't you want to find the word and eat it and find it to be your joy and your heart's delight? Jeremiah 15, 16. Your word. Your words. I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Oh, my. Well, but I... I very rarely, if ever, come out of a time where I really have spent time and I'm studying and meditating and reading and just loving my time in His Word. I have very rarely ever come out of a time like that where my heart hasn't been just exhilarated. Just exhilarated. I always approach the Word prayerfully. I always say, God, speak to me. Show me. Open my eyes. Help me discover Your truth. Don't let me just breeze through it. Don't let me blow through it. Lord, help me take my time. Help me savor this meal. There's nothing worse than sitting down to a rack of ribs at Chicago Ribs and blowing through them. You're waiting all week to get there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You like ribs? I love them. You get, you all week, you know, I'm going... I'm going, Saturday afternoon, I'm going, I'm going, Sunday afternoon, Chicago ribs, man. I'm going to scarf some ribs. I can hardly wait. And you blow right through them. And you sit there and go, I didn't even enjoy them. I ate them too fast. <laughs> Woofed them down. You want to savor them, you want to suck on those bones. Am I the only one that does that? Am I getting a little gross? Is it okay? What a blessing. I want to savor. I want to savor God's word. I hate it when it's when I'm when I'm jammed for time and I and I can't sit and Quietly read and enjoy. Requires me to make time. The frustration for me too is, is trying to communicate to you in words the kinds of things that I feel about His Word. I really am passionate about God's Word. I believe, I believe this book is all I need. I don't need anybody else to tell me. I mean, I read commentaries and such, and you know, I, I, I study other writers and authors, but you know what? I keep coming back to this book. I don't need the world to tell me. I don't need all the world's philosophers. I don't need anybody else. When you become a student of this word, and you love it, and you crave it, this is all you need. And it's so hard for me sometimes to, to communicate that passion for God's Word. Beloved, if you want to develop an appetite for His Word, five things. Five things. These are so essential. You may want to write these down. You may want to put them in the, not on the inside cover, but on the outside cover of your Bible. <laughs> you want to make a copy and put them up on your mirror in your bathroom and on the refrigerator door. This is so important. You go to the refrigerator and say, oh, a craving for the Word of God. Five things essential. Five things. Remember your life source. Remember the power that's here. Get rid of your sin. Confess it. Repent of it. Admit that you need to be nourished. Pursue your growth. Don't be believing the devil's lie that you've arrived. And count your blessings. Count your blessings. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, count your blessings. If you don't yet have a craving for God's Word, these are the things that will bring that craving. I promise you. And I want to close with this. There is a condition that afflicts, I don't know how many women today in our culture. The condition is known as anorexia nervosa. How many have heard of it? 
familiar to many. And again, it's primarily exhibited in women, and uh, women will starve themselves, and sometimes even starve themselves to death. Tragic. And as I contemplated that condition, I saw some significant spiritual parallels for us as Christians, and I want to share these with you. There's four basic symptoms to anorexia nervosa. In in those four basic symptoms, there are some significant spiritual parallels for us. Let me share those with you. The first one is this. Long periods without eating, long periods without eating, punctuated by binges. Punctuated by binges, and that binging is followed by rejection of the food, either through vomiting or enemas or the use of laxatives. So you get long periods when the, person, when the woman doesn't eat. And then she stuffs herself, but then rejects the food by purging it, either through, as I said, uh, vomiting, uh, use of laxatives and enemas and such. And the parallel to many Christians is significant. Long periods without eating. Long periods with going without the word. Punctuated by binges. Oh, I haven't read, 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 I haven't read. Oh, I'm going to catch up. But the net effect is that because you haven't developed the appetite, you end up rejecting that which you've just eaten. That's what you've just gorged yourself on. Do you see the parallel? It, has its, it doesn't have an effect. Because you've not, over the long term, developed the appetite. You've gone without eating, gone without eating, gone without eating, all of a sudden you binge but then you end up rejecting what you've eaten. The second symptom of anorexia nervosa, in which I found a tremendous spiritual parallel for us, is excessive exercise. Excessive exercise. And the exercise for the anorexic is not necessarily to lose weight as much as it is to prove that they are competent. Interesting dynamic. No matter how malnourished I am, I can still function. Do you see? They make up by activity. And the parallel is significant here because where there is no desire for the word of God in a Christian's life, there is an effort to make up for what is lacking spiritual, spiritually by church activity. I'll get involved in church. I'll show up. I'll do this and I'll do that. I'll... I'll and, and, That is not the substitute. There is no substitute for the Word of God. Excessive activity. The third symptom is depression and an inability to deal with problems. Depression and an inability to deal with problems. Perfect spiritual parallel. A malnourished Christian will not be able to deal with sin. A malnourished Christian will not be able to deal with temptation. A malnourished Christian will not be able to deal with life and will be depressed, will be overwhelmed. A malnourished Christian And the fourth symptom is social isolation. Social isolation. Essentially, the fear of being with people, the fear of being questioned, of being discovered. I don't want anybody to know my secret. So I do everything I can to avoid being in a situation where I can be found out, where I can be discovered. 
See, that's where spiritual malnourishment leads to. You starve yourself from the Word of God, and you're not going to want to answer questions about what's wrong in your life. You're not going to want to be accountable. You're not going to want to have to be asked what the verse is for the week. (laughs) So you don't show up. You deliberately don't show up because you don't want to have to deal with it. So you isolate yourself. And eventually you leave the fellowship. What a tragedy, huh? Absolute tragedy. You know what's so amazing about anorexia nervosa? You know what is absolutely so amazing? You can cure it so easily. All you have to do is eat. All you have to do is eat. But, beloved, may I suggest to you, eating starts with a desire. Doesn't it? Eating starts with a desire. I hope you desire this book. I hope that you delight in this book. I hope that you love this book. I hope that you crave this book. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, show us, show us if we are spiritually anorexic, if we are malnourished. Show us, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the the reality of our need for your word. Lord, there's so many of us who, the truth be known, don't really crave it. Stir us up, God. Don't let us be complacent. Don't let us think that we have arrived. Don't let us believe the devil's lie that we can be content, that we've got it all together. But Lord, even more, the more mature we are, the more we need to feed on your word. Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for instructing us. Thank you, Lord, for convicting us. Make these things sure in our life, Lord. We love you this morning, and we give you thanks. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, and let's praise God. Encourage your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and just say, you know what? Crave the Word of God.